and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And that's true. We we'll always be restless until we seek and find our rest in the Lord. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer given was, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I like that. Glorifying God and enjoying him is, goes hand in hand. And that's our challenge every day, even as every Sunday when we go to sing to the Lord, it's to glorify him and learn to enjoy doing it. That it doesn't become a drag, but we become excited about it. I remember David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us come to the house of the Lord. Canadian pastor, one of my heroes of faith, A.W. Tozer, he said, the world is perishing for the lack of the knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for the lack of the presence. The instant cure of most of our ills would be to enter the presence in spiritual experience, to become suddenly aware that we are in God, and that God is in us. To be aware. Have you sampled or tasted the presence of the Lord? Have you had an encounter with God? Maybe some of you have, but you didn't know it like Jacob. He didn't know that God was in this place until he had the dream and awoke. The people of the Bible had an encounter with God. Abram heard the call of God to live his land of birth and go to the land where God would lead him. Moses was a bit more dramatic. He encountered God through the burning bush in the desert. Amazing. For David, it was a bit subdued. It was not dramatic. The Lord revealed himself to David as he was taking care of his father's sheep. In the New Testament, the apostles saw in her Jesus tell to them, Come, follow me. For Paul, it was the light blinding vision as he was going to the road and this going to Damascus. In the road of Damascus, he had an encounter with God that changed his life. How about you? How, how did you encounter the Lord? I believe that most of you are here because you have that encounter with God. And somehow I wish that you want for more. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be spectacular like that of Abram or Moses. Max Lucado, he had an encounter with God when he was a child sitting in Sunday school. Listening to his teacher uh, talk about verses in Romans. He just felt that he had to give his life to God and he needs to be baptized. That's his inc first encounter with God. For, uh, for John Newton, the composer of Amazing Grace, he had an encounter with God while his, his ship was, uh, was caught in a violent storm in the middle of the ocean. And then he remembered the things he learned from his mother. And then he surrendered his life to God. For St. Augustine, he had an encounter with God when he saw a lightning strike his friend. Bizarre. Bizarre. For, for Martin Luther, it was during one of those sleepless nights when he was searching and seeking and struggling and afraid and trying to find personal salvation. 
until he came to that passage in Romans 117 that says the righteous shall live by faith and it became his rallying cry for me it was I believe when I was having a lunch break I was a storekeeper in a garment factory in the Middle East and I closed the door so that I could lie down on my table and take a nap for 30 minutes and while I was having my nap, I just felt a presence. I don't know. I just, I just, I just have to get up and, and pray to God. And I just find myself crying in tears and ended up promising God, I'll do what you want me to do. And so here I am. For Jacob in our story, the trickster Jacob, the conniving and lying Jacob. It was during when he was fast asleep. He was running away from home. Running away from his twin brother's anger and threats. Running toward his uncle Laban's place in Padam Aram to seek a wife. When he spent the night in a certain place, he dreamt of a ladder that extended from earth to heaven. And angels were going up and down the ladder. And on top of the ladder, he saw the Lord. And then he heard the Lord say to him, I am the Lord your God. The God of your father Abram and the God of Isaac. And then from this time on, Jacob will not be the same. He, he's still far from the, the birth version of himself, but the trajectory of his life changed dramatically after this encounter with God. We find our story. Finally, the members of Isaac started doing what was right. Isaac finally surrendered to the will of God. Rebecca finally talked to her husband. Uh, uh, Esau tried to do what's right although he did not read the situation well and then we find Jacob meeting God in the wilderness the passing of faith from parents to children is not automatic it's not automatic the children have to experience God they have to own the faith of their parents the children have to make a decision themselves the children have to receive Christ and embrace Him and surrender their lives to Him. And as parents, all we could do is share to them our faith, uh, give them good examples, do our best, and then always pray for them. I remember when Josh and Ezra were young, oftentimes I would wake up in the middle of night and just lay hands on them and say, Lord, bless my sons. Call them when it's the right time. Draw them unto you. That's what we could do. Most of all, just pray for them. Our Lord tells us of the encounter that Jacob had with him. And I believe that if we seek the Lord, we will meet with him one day. He will meet with us one day. Maybe not as dramatic, not as dramatic. But when he meets with you, I pray that you would be aware of it. Because Isaac almost missed it. He never thought that God was in that place until he dreamt of that dream. May the Lord speak to us and meet with one of us one of these days. Let's pray. Father, as we talk about Jacob's encounter with you, you know the, the desire of my heart is that each man and woman in this place will have an encounter with you that will receive a visitation from you. That the, the beliefs that we are studying would become experiential. 
It, it will translate to reality. I pray that when that happens, because I know it will happen, I pray that we would be aware that it's happening. And I pray that we would make the right response. Because I also learned from scriptures that not everyone who had an encounter with you lived a godly life and was changed. I pray that we will not miss the times of your visitations in our lives. That we would recognize you, surrender to you, and like Jacob, promise to follow you all the days of our lives. This is my prayer in Christ's name. We find our story, Isaac finally surrendering to the will of God. Emphasis on the word, finally. Are you waiting for your finally? Even before the twins were born, Isaac knew the Lord has chosen Jacob over Esau. But he insisted on his will because his favorite son was Esau. And because the culture of that time is the blessings of the father are given to the firstborn. So, but despite his best efforts, he tried to give his blessing to Esau, but ended up giving it to Jacob. So we find Isaac in the story, finally surrendering to the will of God. We find in verse 1, he called Jacob. He said, I bless you even though I don't like to bless you. And, but you must go to the, the place of your uncle, Laban, the brother of your mother, and find a wife there. And then he started to bless Jacob voluntarily. Voluntarily. He starts to care for Jacob and plan for his future. And then he blesses Jacob again. The first blessing in chapter 27 is to determine the, who would succeed him as the patriarch. It's Abram, Isaac, not Esau, but Jacob. And then in verse 20, chapter 28 in our text, Jacob is now transferring the promises of God to Abram, which he received, now to Jacob. And so Jacob, or Isaac said, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abram to you and to your offspring with you. And it's amazing, when Isaac did that, a few days later, the Lord spoke to Jacob appeared to him in a dream and gave the same thing, the blessings of Abram to Jacob. Now, we learned last week that no one can frustrate the will of God. No one. Nothing. Henry Adamers said, when God gives a command or a vision of truth, it's never a question of what he will do. It's always a question of what we will do. Because whether we like it or not, even if we try to go against the will of God, no one can frustrate the will of God. It will happen one way or another. The issue is, how are we going to respond to God's will when we become aware of it? So to be successful in life, to be successful in God's work, is to fall in line with the will of God and to do it in His way. Everything that is pleasing to God, we learned last week, is success. The mere fact that you are seeking the will of God, that in itself is already a success. Whenever we try to do things to honor the Lord, that itself is success. No matter how people would respond, no matter what the initial results are. And so we ask the question, when you learn the will of God, 
when it becomes clear to you about a certain choice or decision you need to make in life, what's our reaction? What's our often reaction? Do we just surrender and accept it and obey? Or do we ask ourselves, is the will of God convenient? If it is, I submit to it. If not, I'll ask for a second opinion. There was a farmer who consulted the doctor because of a severe rash in his leg. And after a series of tests, the doctor said to the farmer, you're allergic to your dog. You need to get rid of your dog to get rid of your allergy. And so as the farmer was leaving the office, the nurse asked him, are you going to get rid of your dog? The farmer said, no, I'm going to seek a second opinion. Because it's easier to find another doctor than to get a good dog. It is often wise to seek second opinions when it comes to medical matters. But when the will of God is clear, it is foolish to get a second opinion. I don't want to listen to that pastor. I don't like what he's saying. That's not the question. The question is, is what is preaching is the will of God? Is it the word of God? You don't change pastors. You don't change preachers. If the preacher or the pastor is preaching the word of God, just because you don't like it, you don't look for second opinion. You know, are you waiting for your finally before you submit to the will of God? We find in our story that if God wants to give someone something, no one can stop God. If God wants to give you something, it might be delayed, but it's going to come to you. No one can stop God from blessing someone he has decided to bless. We learned that in the book of Exodus, remember? Balak, he was afraid of the Israelites that he bribed Balaam to curse the Israelites. And Balaam tried to curse Israel, but he could not. In the end, he ended up blessing Israel. When God decides to give you something, he will give you something. Paul says in Romans, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In our story, not even the patriarch Isaac was able to stop God from giving what he decided to give to Jacob. And this verse is true. God, if God has not decided to give you something, then no one and nothing can force him. To seize or enjoy it, even to covet it, is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Because you are enjoying someone whom God has not given to you. Live in marriage is wrong or live in trial marriage is wrong because you're enjoying someone that God has not yet given to you. Stealing is wrong because you are using something that God has not given to you or not yet given to you. Students, cheating is wrong. Because you're trying to obtain results outside the will of God. Now, the Lord may allow you sometimes to get something 
by cheating or by stealing, but that is wrong. And you will not fully enjoy it, for the wages of sin is death. Esau cannot have what the Lord has not given. We can only claim what God has promised. We can only claim what God has named. So before you claim something in Jesus' name, ask God first, God, has you given this to me? We can only take what God has given to us. John the Baptist says, a man can only receive what was given to him under heaven. We find out Esau doing something too little and perhaps too late. Here's the thing. God chose Jacob over Esau. We know that. As God Almighty, the Lord has authority and right to choose whomever he wants. Here's the case. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And only one can receive the promises of Abram. And God has to make a choice. And he has chosen Jacob over Esau. Here's the thing, not to be chosen by God for a specific role in his plan does not mean rejection by God. It doesn't mean rejection. God may not have chosen Esau to be the next in line to Isaac to receive God's promises, but I believe with my heart that Esau's life could have turned out a lot better if he only accepted the will of God. Difference in roles does not mean difference in valuation. Esau could have received the other great promises of God and blessings of God. Why do I say that? Look at Ishmael, his uncle. Remember, Isaac and Ishmael were brothers. At least they were half-brothers. Whom did God choose? Not, not the older, not Ishmael, Isaac. But see how God provided for Ishmael. Remember when Hagar was running away with Ishmael because Ishmael bullied Isaac? And God said, I'll take care of you. And we find in the Bible God taking care of Ishmael and, and Hagar and prospering them and blessing them that Ishmael became a great nation too. The Lord may not have given you the job that you wanted or the girl or boy you had a crush on. But he can give you another job that will bless you or the right boy or girl that's right for you. That's <laughs> <laughs> we find in verse 6, Esau, seeing that his father told his brother Jacob, look for a wife among the daughters of your uncle. What did he do? He decided to get a third wife. He doesn't get it, you know. He had previous two wives in the previous chapter. He married Hittite women. And this displeased his parents. In fact, Genesis 26.35 says that his marriage to these Hittite women made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So we find in verse 9, Oh, maybe the reason why God did not bless me, or why didn't I get the blessing of my father, is because I married these two Hittite women. What I'll do, I'll get number three. Do you see what I'm trying to say? It was too late or perhaps too little for Esau. He made several foolish decisions. He sold his birthright. He did not honor the agreement he had with Jacob. He made threats to kill Jacob. 
So try to get things right. He got a third wife from one of the relatives. He doesn't get it. His trouble is not with his father. His father tried to bless him, remember? His trouble is with God. His problem is with the Lord. Now, what could have Esau done? Here is my proposition or my suggestion. He could have humbled himself before God, built an altar, and called on the name of the Lord. He could have asked his parents, Lord, uh, Dad, Mom, can you tell us about God? You, Dad, you heard God speak to you. Tell us. He could have sought the will of God. He could say to God, Okay, Lord, you did not choose me to be next in line to my father, and that hurts. I find it hard to accept. I'm, I'm the eldest. But then you are God, and your boss, your sovereign, so I submit to you. Now, my question, Lord, is what is your will for me? What do you want me to do? I believe if Esau did that, the Lord would have been gracious and have blessed Esau. Knowing the kindness and mercy of God, I believe that if Esau humbled himself, accepted God's will, and called on the name of the Lord, the Lord would show his wonderful blessings. I could not forget this bad, or I would use the word, evil King Manasseh. He was so bad, man. He led the nation to worship false god. And then he offered his own sons in sacrifice to a false god. But when God was about to punish Manasseh, he, he cried, God, forgive me. And what did God do? He forgave Manasseh. Come on. And I could remember Joan, I remember. The people in Nineveh were evil. But when Jonah preached and the Ninevites repented, the Lord did not bring the promised judgment upon them. And I could not forget one of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. The context of that verse, you know, I know my plans for you, plans to prosper you, and you will call upon me. The, the, the context of that is the people of Israel, the people of Judah, Judah have disobeyed God. And God was punishing them. They were in exile. But here's the wonderful thing about God. The people have done wrong and were reaping the consequences of the wrong thing that they have done. And yet God says to them, And you will call upon me and come and pray, and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Maybe I'm wrong to say that it was too late for Esau, but it was certainly too little. And so we find out Jacob receiving from God things he did not deserve. As I was preparing this for this message, I was praying, God, I pray that the people of New Hope will have an encounter with you one of these days so that they will be on fire for you. So that they would not just go to church dragging their feet and, and making big, small things, petty things, making big things. Because we, they, they're not focused on you. I wish that they would have an encounter with you so that they would be on fire for you. But then I was made to realize that not all who had encounter with God change and live godly lives. Remember Cain? The Lord spoke to Cain. 
a number of times, warning him, advising him. And when Cain complained of his punishment from God, oh, people will kill me. No, God put a protective mark on Cain. He tried to protect Cain. But what did Cain do? He ran away from God and built a godless city and started a generation that did not call on the name of God. He had an encounter with God. I also remember uh, uh, Balaam, remember? I, I mentioned Balaam. You know? Man, the donkey spoke to him. If a donkey speaks to me, <laughs> or, or a bird speaks to me, you know? uh, that's different, man. God spoke to Balaam a number. You cannot curse my people. I will not allow you. But he still insisted, and he remained greedy and materialistic. The Pharisees had had several interactions with the Lord. They saw the Lord make a blind man see, kill diseases, and yet they plotted to kill him. And my question is, why? Why didn't they change? Why didn't they fear God and submitted to God? Jacob's encounter with the Lord came through a mysterious dream. It was perhaps Jacob's first time away from home. He was mama's boy. He was a homebody. It was his first time away. He is alone and he must have been afraid. And scholars say the journey from, from Beersheba to Bethel or Luz was a three days walk. And so he spent the night at Bethel and then he had a dream in which he saw a ladder from heaven, from earth to heaven and angels coming down and the Lord speaking to him. I am the Lord. The God of your father Abram and of your father Isaac. And then the Lord passed on the blessings he gave to Abram, to Jacob. The promise of a land, promise of countless descendants, the promise of his presence and protection, and the promise that in one of his seeds, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We find here a wonderful display of grace. Jacob did not deserve that experience with God. He was tricky, man. He was lying. He was not worthy of the promises that God gave to him. But we find the Lord did not castigate Jacob for lying and conniving with Rebekah. Yes, in Padam Aram, Jacob will have a very difficult life. Yes, in Padam Aram, Jacob will have a taste of his own medicine. Yes, Jacob would learn lessons the difficult way so that he would become the man of God that the Lord has called him to be. But the things that God did and promised to Jacob in our text were simply because of grace. God unilaterally, unilaterally or unconditionally did those wonderful things to Jacob and promised him these wonderful promises just because he is good and faithful. So no matter what happens, God would accomplish his will in and through Jacob's life. It's one thing I would like to tell you. He don't deserve your blessings. He don't deserve them. Neither do I. You may have worked hard for them and studied well, but if God did not give them, you will not have them. I think one of the reasons why God meets with us is to tell us or remind us of this truth. Whatever we possess, we just receive from God. Whatever we know, 
God just revealed to us and taught us. Whatever we could do, God just enabled us. So do not be forgetful or ungrateful. The Lord said in Deuteronomy 8.18, As his people were entering the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and they would enjoy vineyards they did not plant, and wells they did not dug, he says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to gain wealth. The Lord appeared to Jacob at a crucial point in his life. He would appear to Jacob around four or five times again in the book of Genesis. But this first significant, first meeting with Jacob was significant. Jacob discovered that he wasn't alone because God was with him. The God of his father, Abram and Isaac, was watching over him. He discovered that he could find God even in unlikely places. And any place could be Bethel or house of God. He would be away from home for at least 20 years. But he learned that the Lord could be his dwelling place no matter where he went. And no matter what situation he found himself in. And I tell you guys, if you belong to Jesus, this is true of you. This is true of you. Unlike other religions, they have to be in a certain place. But we know from the story of the Bible, any place where Jesus is, that is the kingdom of God. Jacob also learned that the Lord was interested in him, has chosen him, and was at work in his life. From that night on, from that time he had that encounter with God, he would never be the same. Again, he had many things to learn. He had rough edges that needs to be polished. He was still far from the best version of himself, but the trajectory of his life dramatically changed. Whether life would got tough or dangerous, he would remember this encounter with God. It would influence his decision. From now on, God will be part of his life. Sometimes he would still be sneaky. The old nature would still pop up its ugly head. But from this time on, Jacob would not be the same. For he met with the Lord. Do you remember your encounters with the Lord? I do. I, I, I try to remember them. Sometimes I even keep souvenirs of those times when I felt that I had an encounter with God. Because I recall them when life gets tough or when ministry gets problematic. I remember them. They assure me if God was good to me in the past, God can still be good to me in the present, and God can still be good to me in the future. And so... Jacob, he realized that God was in this place. And his first response was to be afraid. That was his first reaction. And it's a good reaction. It's absolutely good to fear the Lord because the book of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes I could not understand how people could do stupid and bad things while naming the name of the Lord. And sometimes I also find myself sometimes doing something similar. And sometimes we're not afraid of the Lord. Some night we're not afraid of the Lord. Sometimes we're more afraid of losing our happiness. Jacob's first response was to fear the Lord, and it's a good one, because the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. His next act was to worship God. Yung una niya, the pillow, but scholars saying it was not, it did not serve as a pillow, it served as a protection like helmet, you know. Again, they're scholars, but I think it was a pillow. Because it's hard to sleep without a pillow, right? It's hard, stiff neck, right? And so, he, he transformed that stone into a memorial, and the verses, he poured oil in it, he consecrated the stone, and used it as a memorial to it about his encounter with God. So he made a souvenir, and then he made about it, this place will be the house of God. And then third thing he did was he changed the name of the place. Maybe at the time they don't have yet offices of the government. Anyone can change the name of the place. I don't know. I was not alive. But the place was formerly Kudlus, but now it's called Bethel. You could find Bethel even in Israel now, which means the house of God. And then Jacob dedicated himself to God. He says, if God would care for me, if God will give me bread and bring me back to my land, then he will be my God and I will give my tithes to him. Now, we talk about in the Saturday Bible study group yesterday that God can impose a covenant upon us, but we cannot impose a covenant with God. We can propose. Sometimes we the Lord, if you will give me that job, I'll serve in the ministry. Sometimes we could propose, but we cannot impose God. Maybe this is what Jacob is trying to. God, oh, thank you for speaking to me. Okay, Lord, if you bring me back to my family, if you take care of me, if you give me food at the right time, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to pay my tithes to you. But some scholars are saying that the word if could also be translated since. So Jacob was perhaps not bargaining with God. He was just affirming his faith. God, now I really know that you're real. I heard about you from my father, but now I experience you. So from now on, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to trust you. And Jacob affirmed his faith in God. So he'll never be the same. I asked a while ago, why is it that some people who had an encounter with God or a visitation from God did not change and live a godly life. I don't know. But what I know is, I should not waste the encounters I had with God in my life. It's possible that you are already, God is already meeting with you, and you're not aware of it. Because, like the Jews during Jesus' time, they could not believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah, because they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah who would free them from the Romans when Jesus came to free them from the punishment and power of sin. So I don't know. I, I wish I knew, but I don't know. But what I know is I should not waste the encounters I had with God. I should not disregard the visitation I had from God. I should not forget the words he spoke to me through, through a song or through a verse. I should not neglect the things he personally showed me and the many kind acts he did for me. I should not forget them. And I should not live as if those encounters did not happen. Because that would be tragedy. No matter how dramatic or subdued, spectacular or simple, God met with me. And I believe he met with you 
or he will meet with you one of these days. Yes, problems do come. Troubles happen, difficulties visit us, but so does the mercy and grace and presence of God. The Lord Jesus pronounced judgment on the Jews because they did not recognize and value the times God visited them. He said, oh, if you only knew, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen longs to gather her chicks, but you will not allow me. The hen was there, so to speak, but the people did not consider the hen. Peter said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is this verse saying? It seems that God visits all people. He visits people who persecuted the Christians. That they may see, who are the they? Those Gentiles. That they may see your, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter is saying, Christians, try to live honorable lives. Try to live out your faith. So that when these people are making fun of you, when God visits them, they will recognize that God has visited them. Let's pray.